0: The Old Pilot's plain Tales, Black Christmas As Christmas approaches, it's sometimes hard not to get upset by the little things in life that have no real meaning, and forget that others might be having real troubles. This story might help to bring things back into perspective. It was on the 15th of November 1946 that Mrs. Greenwood packed up her suitcases and with her two children left Houston, Texas to join her husband for Christmas. She was making an early start as she had some 9,000 miles to cover before she would reach Shanghai where her husband worked as a pilot for the CNAC. They were going to be tired after their long journey, but their excitement at the thought of being together again kept them going. The China National Airways Corporation, or CNAC to the Americans, had started in 1929 when the State Council in China approved a contract whereby Curtis Wright were loaned one million US dollars to assist in the development of aviation in China. A year later Pan American gained an interest and one trip, the president of Pan Am made the announcement that, employing American aircraft manned by American pilots, the CNAC was to start new routes across China. A few years later, the US ambassador to China was able to send a letter from Hankow to the States in which he praised the service rendered by the air companies, making it possible for the rapid transport of mail by bridging the Pacific in only five days. He concluded by saying that the bringing together of distant cities in this great country had been in accordance with the best traditions of the genius of the American people. Shortly before America's entry into the Pacific War, the Senac pioneered the famous routes over the Himalaya Mountains between India and China, known as the Hump, a story I told in an earlier tale called the Aluminium Trail. The United States had a long aviation history that linked them to China that included such marvellous exploits as those accomplished by the Flying Tigers. They were the first American volunteer group of the Chinese Air Force who were recruited by President Roosevelt's authority before the attack on Pearl Harbor brought the states into the war. The group achieved notable success during a low period of the war to give hope to America that it might eventually defeat Japan. Nineteen flying Tiger pilots became aces with five or more air-to-air victories. When Christmas Day 1946 came around, a heavy blanket of fog lay over Shanghai. It's a city on China's eastern shore, where the Yangtze and the Huanghu rivers meet. The climate there has been likened to that of San Francisco, with a morning fog that usually burns off by noon, but on that day, instead of dissipating, the fog began to thicken into a dense layer that obscured the world from those above. At the city's Longhua Airport, tensions rose as the visibility failed to improve and eventually dropped to zero. The airport staff, who had been enjoying the Christmas festivities, began to pace around nervously as they heard the engines of incoming flights droning overhead. Like many countries, the ravages of the Second World War had left China woefully short of resources, and they had been struggling to rebuild following the devastation of the Japanese occupation. In addition, a vicious internal struggle between the nationalists under Chiang Kai-shek and the communists under Mao Zedong was sapping the ability of both sides to rebuild. Lungwa Airport was a hub for CNAC, but it was woefully inadequate for the growing aviation industry based there. The runway was grass and gravel and hard to spot on a clear day, let alone under a blanket of dense fog. The only navigation aid was a long-wave radio beacon and the runway was lit by a single lamp at each end. William MacDonald was CNAC's chief pilot. He came to the company after years in China with the Flying Tigers. He was worried about the airline's safety record and rightly so. Over the past few years, they had lost 32 aircraft, killing 100 people, but much of this had been flying notoriously dangerous hump missions. Even so, he was determined to improve matters and had insisted that his crews train on a new ground-controlled approach radar system that had been fitted to the US military airfield at kiang Wan, 15 miles north. A good controller could talk an aircraft down to just above the runway, giving a pilot a chance to see the landing area through poor visibility. All that the incoming pilot needed was a working radio and the instrument flying skills to accurately follow the controller's instructions. Despite MacDonald's insistence that his crews get training on flying a GCA, the tower at Kiang Wan had a faulty power supply that rendered the radar unusable for a lot of the time, so by Christmas only a few of the 42 pilots who applied for training had been able to complete a single landing using the system. The senior tower controller at Lunghua wrote that the weather that day was poor. It had been raining persistently with low cloud and fog dominating the whole eastern seaboard. Many flight and ground personnel were celebrating the holiday in Shanghai. The large influx of American servicemen to the city over the past year guaranteed a surfeit of parties and dances at military bases and clubs. Among the partiers was Senac pilot Peter Gutierre, who wrote about the day in his memoir. By the time I arrived back at the house, the weather was zero-zero, no visibility all, he said. It now sounded as if there were several planes milling around upstairs. The tower controller had been monitoring radio transmissions, and by late afternoon the staff knew that four flights were still en route to Shanghai, all originating from Chongqing, about 1,000 miles to the west. CINAC flights 115, 140 and 147, and CATC flight 48. Captain Rolf Prius was piloting flight 115, a C-46 Curtis Commando carrying 31 passengers and a crew of three. Prius, aged 30, was an experienced pilot, having spent almost a year flying the hump over the Himalayas, that notoriously dangerous route. Growing more and more concerned about fog, Prius radioed another flight captained by Greenwood over Nanking. They decided that their best chance was to fly on to Shanghai. The captain of Flight 147, Francis Michel's, was born in Belgium but learned to fly in the US during the Second World War. He later became an instructor, training US and British military pilots in California before joining CNAC in September 1945. His C-46 carried 17 passengers and three crew. Tommy Wing was captain of the lone CATC, Central Air Transport Corporation, Flight 48, a C-47 with seven passengers and three other crew members. Wing was a US citizen, born in Chicago, and was previously a CNAC pilot. He was known for his sense of humour and was well-liked by his colleagues. Unfortunately for him, CNAC had two payroll schedules. The one for Chinese pilots was considerably lower than the one for Americans, and Wing's employers placed him on the Chinese scale. For additional income, he had taken to smuggling cigarettes, but he was found out and fired. He simply walked over to the CATC offices, an airline that paid the same wages to Wall aircrew, and was hired. Tommy Wing was flying a C-47 and was low overhead, circling the field. The chief pilot was trying to contact him by radio phone, but couldn't get through as the aircraft's equipment wasn't operating properly. Wing had tried to fly a GCA at Kiang airfield, but without a working radio, it proved impossible. Another pilot recalled that he had probably never heard of a GCA, and certainly had never practiced one. He shot the approach, but must have been a little high and was told to take a wave off. After several attempts, at around 5.45 in the afternoon, Wings aircraft banked to the left on descent. The C-47 struck the roof of a nearby building and cartwheeled into a built-up area, killing several people on the ground. All 11 souls on Flight 48 were lost. Flights 140 and 147 had now arrived overhead Shanghai. Macdonald had no other options, so he ordered them to Kiang Wan. Greenwood arrived first, but he found that he couldn't establish contact with the tower due to an intermittent radio failure in his DC-3. Unable to use the GCA system, he turned back to Longwa, leaving Michel's circling Kiang Wan at 4,000 feet. At the controls of Flight 140, Captain James Greenwood was expecting his wife and children to arrive from the States to spend Christmas with him. Greenwood was relatively new to CNAC, but he was an accomplished pilot with years of commercial airline experience. Originally from Houston, Texas, he had come out to China because the salaries were better there. He was flying a DC-3 with 27 passengers and two other crew members. Michels was a big man, well thought of by all, but after Christmas 1946 he was judged a real hero. When he reached kyung that night, his radio was able to pick up the ground instructions as he nosed his C-46 down towards the runway. He knew about the GCA system, but had never used it. Another pilot, Oliver Glenn, wrote later that the secret of GCA was the pilot's faith in the system. Michel's truly flying blind had surely mustered all his faith to follow the instructions that came through his headphones as the operators, watching Flight 147 on their radar, began talking him down. Michels later told a colleague that he didn't know if he saw the runway lights or touched down first. At Lungwa, Chief Pilot MacDonald ordered the ground crew to pour strips of gasoline along the runways and light them to make up for the dim lights which failed to penetrate the fog. MacDonald talked to Greenwood as best he could through the faulty radio calmly trying to guide the pilot in. In the tower, his engines could be clearly heard, but his flashing navigation lights were invisible, nor had anyone seen his landing lights. All was deathly silent on the field. The only sound was that of the plane in the distance, getting louder and louder as it approached. MacDonald said that he was shaking so hard he could hardly conceal it from those around him. Then over the radio, Greenwood's calm voice announced that he'd lost an engine. MacDonald stepped out of the balcony of the town in case the aircraft could be seen. The spluttering of an engine could be heard then an eerie silence for a few seconds. The sound of the impact exploding from the darkness was a heartbreaking noise. Another aircraft had gone down. was now abundantly clear that the last approaching aircraft was in extreme danger. The crew would have heard the last transmissions of CNAC 140. Prius aboard Flight 115 was the only one of the four pilots who had experience with the GCA system, but the radio in his C-46 couldn't transmit on the radio frequency required to use it. Now perilously low on fuel, he called into to that he was on a long final. He called again that he wasn't happy with his first approach and would go around. He flew back and forth over the fields several times, coming down as low as he dared, his chief pilot talking to him all the time, sounding calm and confident. The fog had seemed to thin a little, when it sounded as if he was nearing short finals, there was a sudden, loud, dull thud, and then again that awful silence. It took rescue workers hours to find the wreckage. The aircraft had crashed short of the airport, in an area crisscrossed by canals, so naval craft were used to reach it. The C 46 had hit the ground and then skidded into a schoolhouse, fortunately empty, and started a small fire. The wreckage was massive, and the personnel who reached the scene declared that all 31 passengers had died. Prius survived, but with disfiguring injuries that caused enormous pain for the rest of his life, he was sent back to the United States for treatment, and had his left leg amputated a few months later. Of Greenwood, whose wife was arriving after her long journey, it seemed that he had aligned his aircraft well, but out of fuel he had slowed and stalled. The aircraft came down at the intersection of the runways, skidding a thousand yards before somersaulting. When the rescue team arrived, It was too late to save most of the victims, but men waded through heavy rain and mud to reach several passengers. It was thought that of the 30 people on board, 10 survived. Captain Greenwood was not one of them. The final count of those who died on Black Christmas, as it came to be called by the Senac pilots, is a little difficult to calculate. Records are incomplete, eyewitnesses disagree, and the aftermath was so horrible that confusion overtook record keeping. Several reports had the body count at 62, yet one official report had it as high as 71. Having travelled 9,000 miles to join her husband for Christmas, all Mrs. Greenwood and her children could do was to return to the United States with her husband's body. After such an awful event, the only heartening discovery was when the salvage crews lifted the wreckage of one of the aircraft. They found a four-year-old child, who at first they thought was dead. After the crash, little Wong Diddy had cried for his mother. But having received no answer, He had quietly gone to sleep. If you enjoyed this tale, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Plain Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at AirlinePilotGuy.com